Hey, we're in the uh, th- third part of a series that we've been doing called No Shortcuts. And what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks that we've been together um, is that there's no shortcut to this life that God is calling you to, particularly as a college student, young adult, that um, in our world, we're so tempted um, for even like in Michael's video for the big and the grandiose and wanting to make a big impact quickly. Um, but if you follow Christ for any amount of time, you find out that it's actually like this really slow process. And so every time we try to shortcut, God is really gracious to kind of stop us and go, no, that's not going to happen. Like you're going to have to follow the path that I've set out for you and that there's no shortcut. Um, And so the first week we talked about, um, these are the four characteristics that we would kind of say are going to lead you to be the college student, the young adult, the young man, the young woman that Christ wants you to be. And you've got to have truth, that there's no shortcut to truth, that the enemy knows you well is how we started this whole thing. And the enemy is going to do everything he can to kind of, to try to get you to say, hey, I've got this legitimate need, so I'm going to meet it in an illegitimate way. Just like Satan tempted Jesus to He came along and he said, hey, are you really going to follow after God? Do you really think he knows what's best for your life? He's doing the same thing to us day in and day out. And so we had to say, there's no shortcut to truth. You've got to know the word of God and you've got to stand upon it. And then that leads us to saying, and there's no shortcut to obedience. Like you're not just going to wake up one day and be different, but you've got to determine what kind of person are you going to be as a young adult? Are you going to obey God in the areas where he's asking you to follow after him, where he's calling you to take that next step of faith? And I loved what Matt was saying earlier. It's not glamorous. For most of you, myself included, the next step of faith that God's calling us to is obedience in an area that we know really well, but we keep justifying why we don't need to be obedient there. We just keep coming back around going, well, my family, well, my parents, well, this semester, that professor, my ex, my something. And we just keep making excuse after excuse after excuse. And God's going, hey, I've heard all those. Actually, I've been around forever. So you can keep lobbing them at me. But I promise you, whatever you throw at me, I've heard it already. So why don't you just quit? trying that and start to understand there's just no shortcut to obedience. Once you know the truth, you follow after it and you're faithful in obedience. And then that leads to this life where you go, it's not just for me though, right? I mean, surely we're all on the same page of going, following after Christ and understanding what he wants to do in your life, you start to see that it's not just about you. It's not just about, oh, I had a good Bible study. I had a good quiet time. My college life group's awesome, or this thing's really good, or man, I'm doing well, and I'm not struggling with that anymore, and I haven't done that in a while, and I'm going to church, and I'm involved, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and eventually God goes, incredible, but that sounds a lot like a child. And I don't mean that in a condemning way. I just mean it in an honest way that children are normally the ones that go, I, 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 me, me, me. I've got three of them and I just drove to Disney World for goodness sake. And so that's a long time in a car with the three kids that are going to the most magical place on earth, uh, whatever. But so you hear a lot of me, 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 I, 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 and I'm like, I'm going to kill somebody if we're not careful here. Um, so that's the childlike way to think though, of going me, 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 I, 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 and he goes, Hey, that's amazing that you're starting to get involved and you're starting to see change. But the next thing after truth and obedience is love. And if you really know the truth, and if you're really being obedient, I'm going to ask that you 
flip what I'm doing in your life and you start to love some people around you. I'm terrible at this, if I'm being honest. Like, this is a hard one for me. This last week, there were many times where I'm like, let's punt. Let's have a worship night. Let's pray a lot, which is all, all good things. But I was trying to avoid having to talk about this because my fear was I would get up here and talk about loving others well. And at the end of the night, I would go, I talked about it, but I don't do it in my own life. Because it's a struggle for me to say, I know the truth and I'm working towards obedience. But then when God says, all right, enough about you, big guy, let's love some folks around you. That's where I start to go, well, I'm introverted by nature. And this right here takes it out of me because afterwards I got to talk to people and then I got to go and answer emails and phone calls and texts and whoo, I'm tired. And God's going, that's adorable. But I've heard that one. Moses had some good excuses too. I'm calling you to love people, but I'm really bad at it. Just as I was telling you, we went to Disney World last week. We were driving back. That's even worse, right? I mean, it's like you're leaving the most magical place on earth going back to Knoxville. Nothing against Knoxville, but it's just not Disney World. We've been on the road for 15 minutes. My youngest, who's three, I don't know why I showed you how big he was. What if I was like, my youngest, who's three? <laughs> You'd be like, what? <laughs> it was weird. Um, but my youngest was three, he said, let's go back to Disney World. And I said, I agree, but we didn't. We just kept driving and we're flying. I mean, we're making good time. Our kids are very well behaved. They don't need bathroom stops regularly. We get to Atlanta and I mean, my wife goes, where are we? And I said, we just hit 285. And she goes, wow, we're really gonna get home quick. And I said, tell me about it. This is amazing. And about that time, I'm in the fast lane, semi trucks in the right-hand lane. So there's a middle lane. There's a car in front of me that's slowing down for some unknown reason in Atlanta. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go around this guy, but I'm a safe dad. I'm in our Suburban, so I check my blind spot because it's a long car. Nobody there, clicker on, go over. Well, 18-wheeler, yahoo over here. See, I'm not being the loving right now. This kind gentleman who's driving a big rig <laughs> over here, he decides too, you know what? I'm doing just fine in the slow lane, but I should probably get into the middle lane too for some unknown reason. And we decide to play bumper cars going 80, uh, what's the speed limit? 70 in Atlanta. <laughs> Can we edit the podcast? Um, somehow I'm getting a ticket. Like I just get a ticket in the mail. You just confess to people that you were, anyway. So we're going down the interstate. I check my blind spot. Nobody's there. There was nobody there, but I start to get over. Boom. And we just hit. Well, we hit not on my side. So I was like, whoa, that's funny. My wife on the other hand is like, and so I just screaming and my youngest son who's in the back that wanted to go back to Disney World is now terrified of large trucks coming at him. But we hit this truck um, and we get over. And honestly, if you saw my car right now, you'd be like, there's no way you hit an 18-wheeler going however fast you were going in Atlanta during five o'clock track. There's no way that you played bumper cars with an 18-wheeler because those are the stories you see on the news. But instead we get over and I went up to the truck and I was like, hey, actually our mirror did what it was supposed to do. It folded in. We're fine. I got three kids though, so I need to keep rolling. Well, let me make a call. And I was like, go ahead, make a call. We're fine back there eating, we're eating Hershey's Kisses. We really were. Um, and so we're just back there popping Hershey's Kisses. He comes over, well, got some bad news. I got to call the cops because it's a big rig and we don't want you to sue us later. And you know, it's just one of those things. Well, so his little phone call ended up being an hour and 30 minutes on the side of the interstate in Atlanta during rush hour. And I've got three kids like two and a half hours from home. And we started in Orlando. And I was, I wasn't like, bummer. I was mad. Like, 
oh my gosh, like every time the trucker left, I would just, my teeth would grit and I would say stuff about this man who I just played bumper cars with. And my wife honestly looked at me and went, we're fine. Like we just had an incredible trip in Disney World. Nobody's hurt. You just hit it. And I went, I did not hit anybody. He hit me. You know, and she was like, that's not the point. Everything's fine. Settle down. And in that moment, kind of knowing even we were a week away from coming to love, I realized it's just not naturally in me. My response naturally is not to go, you know what, things aren't going my right way right now, love. I don't agree with you politically, love. Your stance on certain topics don't line up with mine, love. You wanna support somebody that I don't support, love. You broke up with me, love. Mom and dad are doing things that I don't understand, love. And it's just not natural for you or for me, I can definitely say, to go, when life's not going my way, my response to you is going to be love. My response to you is gonna be, I wanna treat you the way that I have been treated by my heavenly father. But that's just the progression of a maturing Christian is to say, you know the truth of who God is and who he says that you are, so you start to be obedient. And then he says, so start responding to people. Don't just sit in circles with people going, you know that God loves you. Well, I know that he loves me. Well, let's pray for each other. But start to take that circle and flip it out and go, so how do we take this incredible, unfathomable love of a heavenly father and let some folks know about it? Now, again, I don't want to hyper-spiritualize everything because pastors are way too prone to do that. Like, I don't want to be like, my goodness, why didn't I evangelize that guy? Maybe we hit each other so I could be like, well, you know, sometimes you bump up against things in life and life's hard and sin. And let's talk about death. And let, what if we died? Do you know where you have gone, Mr. Trucker? Like, I, you know, like I could over-spiritualize this and be like, why didn't I love the man? But I think God's going, hey, why don't you get off your like podium of preaching and why didn't you just go, hey, man, I'm just glad we're okay. And it took an hour. What's life like on the road? Instead of going, you disrupted my schedule. So tonight we're gonna to talk about there's no shortcut to it. And if you interact with people at all, you know this to be true. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could just have you leave and as you leave, we just have some little dust that we sprinkle on your head and we go, go love people. And you're like, but I don't like, I do like people all of a sudden. My roommates, uh, I'll pray for them. Like, wouldn't it be amazing? But God's going, no, that's not the goal. The goal is that you would realize I don't love well, but I'm called to. As a believer, there's something more than us gathering in a room that's heated and has lights there's more than going, God, you've called me higher and deeper. He's going, you're right, I have. And it's a campus, and it's a community, and it's a family of origin that you are running from, but I'm calling you back to. He's going, this is good, and we hope that this equips you to go and serve and to go and love. But as I said, God was very gracious this week to go, I'm not letting up on this one, JC, because you can talk about it but you're not very good at it. So a scripture for us to look at tonight is in 2 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, if you wanna to flip to it or turn to it or open it, however you do it, I want us to look at what it is to love. Because what we're so good at doing is isolating ourselves into our little subcultures and loving those who look a lot like us and act like us and vote like us and cheer like us. 
But this is what Paul says to the church at Corinth, crazy church. I think it's funny that right now um, we kind of give the church a hard time of like, oh man, things are about to get rough in the church and these days are really dark and everything's going the wrong way and hell in a handbasket, here we go, get ready, 2016. And sometimes you just need to go back and read your Bible and realize God's not going, what am I gonna do with 2016? He's going, yeah, I've seen this one. It just looks a little bit different. Because the evil in humanity, it's not getting greater. There's all the evil you can ever imagine within humanity. It's just looking different. And if you need to be affirmed in that, read the scripture sometime. Some of the stuff that we read about in scripture is like crazy. And so Paul's writing to this church who's kind of going off the rails, honestly. But this is one of the things he says to the people within the church. For the, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 14. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. Some of your versions may say compels us. The word here really is the love of Christ holds us together, binds us. The thing that holds us together is the love of Christ. It's the glue that's making this whole thing work as the body of Christ. And he says the love of Christ controls us, compels us, because we have concluded this, that one, Jesus has died for all, therefore all have died. So what he's saying is, Paul's writing them, he's going, here's what I've concluded because the love of Christ compels me to believe this, that Christ died for everybody, therefore everyone has died. So basically what he's saying is everyone was dead in their sins. So everybody that you're gonna rub shoulders with tomorrow, the guy that you cannot stand, the girl that you see walk into the room and you fake phone call, right? Like she walks into the room, you're like, I'm not talking to her. Uh huh, and you just leave because you're going, I can't deal with that person. The person that when they pop up on your Instagram or the person that when they pop up on your feed, you're going, I hope this time, let's just be honest tonight, I hope this time it's not good. I hope something bad has happened to them. Is it just me? Because I'm hoping some of you are going, good, I'm hoping some of you are going, yeah, if I'm being honest, occasionally I'm hoping their status is everything went wrong today because inside I want to go, thank you, But he's going, the love of Christ compels me to believe this. Christ died for all because all were dead. Now we could camp out on just this verse and go, so if it's true that all were dead, Romans, and fall short of the glory of God. But I do believe the truth that God came and brought me to life. How could I possibly walk through my days with any sort of pride or arrogance or thinking I'm better than because I believe that the love of Christ compels me to believe all were dead in their sins. And it's by grace that I've been brought to life. So that person that drives me crazy, what would it look like for me to go, God, I don't know if they're in Christ or not, but if they're not, God, would you bring something to life in them like you've done in me? Now, I'm, I'm being honest. That's a foreign thought to me. That's a, that's a gift of God when those things even sort of well up in me. But that's what Paul's writing to them. They're going, hey, I'm challenging you, church. Let the love of Christ compel you, control you, bind you together so that when you look at those around you who you disagree with, you go, Christ died for that one too. And maybe you're going, okay. Timeout, let's call timeouts. Are we allowed timeouts? I'm calling a timeout. You just said, God, bring them to life. What if they are alive? 
They're in, man. Like they're a Christian and I can't stand them. God, I can't stand this person. I'm just telling you how I think through these things. God, I can't stand that person. God, it's really difficult for me to be with this person. We differ on a lot of things. They've done a lot of things that hurt me deeply. Would you help me see that we have the greatest thing in common though? Would you help me see that even though we differ on that, if we really both have the love of Christ, we have the ultimate thing. God, would you help me see the best in them? Not assume the worst about them. God, would you help me believe that you died because they were dead and now you've brought them to life. And so if you love them enough to bring them to life, surely I can find something in them to love as well. But it compels us. And he died, verse 15 says, for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I mean, that gets rid of anything if you're going, yeah, but we don't get along, and yeah, past and history, and I don't wanna love that group on campus because they're anti-everything. Anything I'm for, they're against. And you don't know how dark it is in my philosophy class, or man, have you been on the religion department at UT? It's a really dark place, or do you know about this organization on campus? Like, you just want us to go out and love them? Do you know what they stand for? And he's going, well, let's just stop for a second and go, but he died for all that those who live, that's you and I. If you're in Christ, he's talking to you. He's going, so that you might live not for yourselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now this is where you just have to be okay with some honest prayer of walking around going, God, I don't even want to be for these people. But I don't wanna live for myself. I've done enough of that. I, 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 me, me, me. You. You, 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 what do you think about these people? And as you think about them, you may go, I think God says, I'm against what they're standing for too. But how can you love them? How can you come alongside them and not be known as people who are against them, but are for them? Maybe not for what they stand for, but for them. Maybe what you're called to do in love is to go up to them and go, hey, I'm not sure if any Christians really talk to you about this issue or not. Can we, can we chat? Hey, I have noticed that a lot of people in class um, just kind of seem to pick on you. Can I buy you a cup of coffee and just hear what's going on? Hey, I know that you and I have not been on the best terms always, but this isn't about me. Is there any way that we can reconcile here? For as much as it is possible, I wanna live at peace with those who are around me. Scripture says. So what's one area of your life where it says you might not lo no longer live for yourself. What's one relationship, really, one relationship where God might go, hey, quit living for yourself there. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. They don't look like me, they don't talk like me, they don't sound like me, they don't support me. We don't regard anyone according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer, saying we're no longer gonna look at the external appearance of what it seems like they are for or against. We're gonna start to look at the inside. Of, Is it true that they were dead just as I was dead and that Christ has died for them? 
Therefore, if anyone, famous verse, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the behold, the new has come. So he comes along and he says, I want you to love people well because Christ has loved them well. You are loved to love. What if tomorrow, just us, just this room, what if tomorrow we went throughout our day not asking the question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you accept me? Do you like me? Do you love me? What if we, just us, went through our day tomorrow going, I am loved. I am loved, so I can love. What if tomorrow when you walked into your classes and into your apartments and into your places of employment, you weren't asking, do I matter to you? Do I matter to you? Well, what about you? Do I matter to you? And if I wear this, do I matter to you? And what if I, I drive that now? Do you see, did you see what I drive now? Do I matter to you? And I also upgraded to that. Do I matter to you? Do I matter? What if we quit asking, do I matter to you? And we really started going through our day going, I am loved. So therefore, I can love. I'm loved to love. Like I am loved. Like my heavenly father has told me who I am, so you don't have to. As a matter of fact, not only do you have to, you don't get to. Imagine the freedom some of us would feel tomorrow when that person walks into the room or that individual or that group walks into the room of going, hey, you don't get to tell me who I am anymore. He, he already has, and today I'm gonna live in that. So now because I am loved, I can love. Freedom would be amazing to walk into a room going, you all don't get that opportunity. He's already done that. It would be a miracle. It would be the freedom that I think scripture just breathes of. Can you imagine if the Christians on campus were known as, man, they're the most loving people. And here's what I wanna say about loving. I don't mean they cuddle with every, that's weird. But you know, like they don't, everybody they see, they're just going up to going, oh, have a good day. Can I buy you a tea or a latte or something? Like, we love you. Like, come to our thing tomorrow. We love you. And so does Jesus. I got a tattoo. You want to see? It says, I love you. And everybody's going, oh, gosh, because sometimes that's not love. Sometimes love is having the hard conversation. Sometimes love is distancing yourself, but distancing yourself for love's sake, not because it makes it easier for you. Love is so messed up and contorted in our world that when we say, go out and love the world, like now that you know truth and now that you're starting to obey, love, be generous in the way that you love people. We go, well, I guess that just means blow kisses and always like be nice to everybody. But that's just not simply the way that Christ loved people. I mean, look at his interactions with people. Most of the times we'd go, my gracious, Jesus, you like have a chip on your shoulder or something? But no, it's not that he had a chip on his shoulder. He loved those people too much to let them stay where they were. Go sell everything you have. The guy went away sad. Well, that was mean, Jesus. No, it wasn't mean. He was loving the man to go, I wanna get into your heart and show you that you're in love with something that's not gonna satisfy you. Hey, go get your husband. I don't have one. I know you don't. And the one that you're living with now is not your husband either. Jesus, you can't say that to girls. I can because I love her. And I want her to see that just sleeping around and another dude's not gonna give her identity. I wanna get in her heart and let her know you don't have to let them identify you anymore. Well, I'm an outcast. That's okay. Go tell everybody you know what I've told you. 
Jesus was the most loving person, but most of the time he wasn't going around and just going, it's okay. Instead he's going, hey, why are you thinking that in your heart? You can't call that out on me. Yes, I can, because I love you. Love is not soft. Love is deep and it cares. And it says, I care more about you than I care about myself. You're going, all right, famous verse. So if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. How do we start to actually do this? And it is that. It's saying, I'm gonna move from a love that's focused on who I am to a love that's focused on who you are. We start off, we all start off this way with reciprocal love. You love me? Well, I love you. It's reciprocal. Oh, you're gonna do something for me? Well, then I'll do something for you. It's a debt-debtor relationship. Remember the last time I took out the garbage? Oh, well, then this time I'll take out the garbage. I did the dishes on Tuesday. Oh, then I'll do the dishes on Thursday. You love me, I love you. And we just keep going back and forth. It's reciprocal love. It's elementary, it's childish love. But it's not wrong. So don't hear me saying, going, man, he was beating up on those people. It's not wrong, it's just elementary. It's the way that children come into the world. My kids, all of them, started off this way of going, I'd come up and I'd go, I love you. And they'd go, I love you too. And that's all they knew. They didn't go, let me tell you the ways I love you, Father, and here's why I love you. One of our kids, I shouldn't tell you this, but I will anyway, one of our kids at Disney World, you know, I put up a few pictures on Instagram. People are like, look, you had an amazing trip. It did, the pictures I put up on Instagram. But at one point, we were at Disney World, the most magical place on earth. And one of our kids turned around and goes, I hate you, you never do anything nice for us. And I was going, Oh my gosh, like I brought you to Disney World and you still say that about me, right? Because, but that's childish love. They can only see what works for them. You do what works for me and I will in turn love you. Now here's the problem. Most of us hear this even in scripture. We hear that Jesus, we know love because he first loved us, First John says. The only way that we know love is because he first loved us. And so we go, God loves me? Well, then I love him reciprocal love, and this is great, and we sing songs about it, amazing love, how can, and we're like, yeah, sing now and again louder, and like do the key change at the end, and everybody will get all excited and be like, woo, amazing love, and it's reciprocal, it's just basic, it's where we start. So tonight, I wanna say the next step of faith for some of us is to go, let's move from reciprocal and move down this path of maturity, of saying, hey, if we started off over here going, well, you love me, then I love you, Because what you find out, and you all have found this out already, as you mature and as you grow up, the reciprocal love just starts to break down. Because even the people that try their best to love you fail. At some point, the person that you were looking to to love you fails in an earthly way. And at some point, even your heavenly father, he will never fail you but he will love you in a way, just like the examples I just gave, in a way that you go, well, that didn't feel very loving. I wanted the job. I wanted the internship. I didn't want this to be my story. I wanted my parents. I wanted the doctor's report. And we start going through this list of things going, God, if you love me, I thought it would look different. And so in those moments, we have to go, so what's the path of maturity? How do, how do I move from only giving love to people who have given love to me? 
And the path of maturity, and this is not surprising, is to go, instead of reciprocal love, I love you, you love me, is I'm gonna move to crucifixion love. Of greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. So that relationship that I asked you to think about earlier, where you need to quit living for yourself, what would it look like for you to say, I'm not gonna offer reciprocal love, I'm gonna offer crucifixion love. Because Jesus has this amazing way of showing us a depth of love that is unimaginable. Of showing us a way to love those who aren't like us, a deep, rich, unending love. Because, right, we come along and we go, God, God, I'm not sure if you understand, like, I get that truth and obedience, but to now just go out and to love generously to people, I'm not sure that you understand. Some of these people are, like, against you. And he's going, really, people against me? Tell me more. Uh, what's your testimony? Let's actually stop. Time out. Why don't you tell me your story? Okay, well, I was a sinner. Okay, so wait. So you're telling me that when this whole story started, you were what? Well, I was against you. Okay, all right. I'm just making sure that we're clear here. So you were against me, uh-huh. And so well, let's just stick with you for a minute. So what happened when you were against me? This is God talking. Well, um, I guess you, well, you died to what you wanted. You, you died so that I could know you. Okay, so the, you were against me, but I crucified myself so you could know. Uh-huh. Okay so, okay, so now let's go to your story. So you've got somebody who's against you, yes, and you shouldn't have to love them. Well, that's what I want to believe, yes. And he's going, well, let's just mature of going, no, let's figure out what it would look like to be crucifixion love. Crucifixion love is always costly. Always costly to say, I'm gonna love this person even when I don't want to. I'm gonna say the things that I'm not even sure how they're gonna receive them. Did you notice that Jesus never went, hey, how's this gonna go down at the cross? He didn't ask that question. He said, Father, not my will, yours be done. I'll do whatever you want me to do to glorify your name, even if it means a cross. And we say, I'm not eating lunch with them. They're a Democrat. I'm not supporting them. They're a Republican. You want me to hang out with them? No. And God's going, what if it's the thing that will glorify my name the most? For a bunch of Christians, or maybe not even a bunch, maybe for one, for one Christian on campus to say, I'll eat lunch with you. What are people going to say? They might say, that guy seems to love whoever he comes in contact with. Crucifixion love is costly, but it's more concerned about the glory of God than it's concerned about our own desires. This is the part of the message where I went, God, I don't want to talk about this because I'm so weak in this area. God said, I know, and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. All this, 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, 
and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Hello, he's going, what I want to entrust you with, Pellissippi, UT, Maryville, wherever you're going, student, what I'm entrusting to you is the message of reconciliation. Ultimately to God, absolutely. Through Christ, you can be reconciled to God. Well, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. We all, at the beginning of the story, were dead. He offered us up life. But also, he's going, I want the ministry of reconciliation to be that Christians are going around going, we're offering crucifixion love to people who are not gonna be able to do anything in return. Why? Because there's nothing that's more Christ-like than to say, I will crucify myself and love you when there's nothing you can do in return. But what if they don't respond the way I want them to? Then you're not doing crucifixion love, you're doing reciprocal love. As soon as you start to say, well, they didn't respond the way I thought they would. Well, that's because you were looking for reciprocation. That's not crucifixion. And that's okay. Have these conversations with your friends. Get in a group and talk about this stuff. Going, I still want them to respond. This is still about me, isn't it? How do I crucify them? How do I love them in a crucifixion way? Because we've been given the message of reconciliation. So that person, how can you stop living for yourself? What would it look like to crucify your desires? And if God can do it with you, how can you reconcile with that person you think about? Therefore, because he's given us this message, we are ambassadors for Christ. I can tell you're excited about it. We are ambassadors for Christ. Like we represent Christ. Yesterday, a bunch of people wanted to be ambassadors for the Broncos or for the Panthers. And on a lot of other weekends, they are ambassadors for a lot of other things. And they want to tell you, here's who I represent. And this is telling us, you get to represent something that's going to last forever. You have been given the message of reconciliation and now you are an ambassador. You represent, you get to stand for something that's going to count for eternity. Well, I want to wear the jersey, wear the jersey, but as you're doing it going, I want to wear the jersey so I can have some sort of light, some sort of impact on the little part of this planet that God's planted me in because I'm his ambassador. God making his appeal through us what? Like, do you ever, do I ever think about that? God's going to be appealing to people through me. If I believe that, my mind would be blown when I saw the people that bother me of going, but God's going to be making his appeal for salvation and life and hope through me. Only God does that. Only God takes dead, broken things and says, I'm going to bring them to life, restore them, and then use them to do the same thing to others. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Love people. C.S. Lewis I love this quote. C.S. Lewis, in a, one of his books, Four Loves, he says this, and this is where I find myself. Because you start to talk about loving um, those that are hard, but also just even those that are easy. Do you really love those well who you do life with? 
Or are you just friends, but you kind of tag Christian friends onto it? But do you really love each other well? Would you really say that you've offered the ministry of reconciliation to your friend, or are you just playing it safe? (laughs) C.S. Lewis says this. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. For a long time, we've used the word authentic. Like, we just want to be authentic. We want to be real. And I, okay, I like the word vulnerable more because it's deeper, it's richer. And he says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around your hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. I'm bad at this, but as I read that, I go, oh, that's what I want. I don't want to be unbreakable, impenetrable. I want to be life. I want to be joy. I want to be peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. But to do those things is risky and vulnerable and it's love. And ultimately we do this, why? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we are loved so we can go love because God made his son to stand in our place. So now we say, I'm gonna move from reciprocal love to crucifixion love. In this group of people I'm in, in my college life group, I'm gonna lay down my life. People on campus, I'm gonna lay down my life. Not because I'm some awesome Christian, but because I'm loved to love. It's why Matt talked about it earlier. It's why we're doing a worldview conference. Not so we can all get together and talk about sexuality and purity and wholeness and all those things alone, but we wanna be equipped to be able to go to our world with this issue that's so um, massive and say, hey, how can we love you? How can we talk about this? Because it's a hot topic. And I don't just mean like people wanna talk about it. Like it's a topic that when you even bring it up, there's wounds and there's scars and there's shame and there's guilt and there's confusion. So we wanna say, how can we love the world well? So we're gonna get together and talk about that. Not just because we want to have another conference, but because we want to love our world well. And the last thing also is this. We've created devotionals. Um, Be in the word. You will never out-love the way in which you feel loved. So if you don't feel very loved by your Heavenly Father, you will never love well. So we've got devotionals. They're online right now to go along with this. Spend time in the word this week because there's no shortcut to love. It involves laying down your life just as your Savior has done for you. If you don't know that, tonight if you're going, yeah, I've heard that before, 
but I need, I need more than just hearing that before I have questions about really love. I or others would love to talk to you at the end as we worship. Why don't you go ahead and stand? We're gonna end with some worship and I'll pray for us. <coughs> God, would you be gracious to us? Um, I know I feel overwhelmed at the idea of loving people well because I don't do it naturally. Some people in the room probably go, oh, this is the one I'm so good at. I'm always considering others, and that's great. But for those of us who just go, I, I don't know, it's, it seems so foreign to me. You know, would you give us grace this week, really? In the areas where it's not just an organization, but it's a family member, where there's legitimate hurt, and the idea of loving that person um, legitimately would be miraculous. God, would you give us that kind of grace? Would you, would you help us see what it is to love? Whether that means distance or conversations. There's not a formula because it's not about getting it right. It's about getting you. We get more of you when we love. So God, give us more of yourself. That's what we're so desperate for. We love you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.